0: welcome back to shorts weather the podcast where we show the midwest truly is the best and i'm going to jump right in by saying if you did not listen to the last episode where ryan Roenfeld and i talked about the omaha stockyards you're welcome to listen to this one first but i'd recommend starting there and coming back to this one so i'll give you a minute if you're hopping out and going to come back later Okay, for everybody who's sticking around, who listened to the last one or who just doesn't want to listen to me, that's fine. Uh, Today is a first for the pod in a very special way. I did my very first in-person interview for the podcast With a couple of guys from my hometown area that are pretty interesting, Uh, Dale Slott and his son Dwayne, who are um, Midwest cattle producers, and Dale, the dad who um, we'll get to meet in just a little bit, actually remembers taking stock out to the stockyards um, back in their heyday in Omaha And we also talk about Operation T-Bone, which is kind of a niche special thing that uh, my hometown has, and we'll tell all about what it is, how it started, and talk more about that in the episode. Just a quick note that because this is an in-person interview, um, there might be more of a conversational tone even than my regular episodes have. I'm going to notice that this episode jumps around a little bit more than some of my previous episodes I care more about capturing the stories of my guests in this episode and less about how perfect the way those are captured are. So you might need to follow along a little more closely than usual, but I promise there's some great nuggets in here that make it all worth it. As I went out and visited the slots a couple of days ago, uh, they were generous enough to loan me some of their Operation T-Bone history books And we talk about the history and background of Operation T-Bone Plenty in this episode, but this is a pretty interesting excerpt that I just want to start off by reading uh, just to give you kind of some background and idea of what it is that we're talking about here. I've got some more that I've pulled out that I want to read later, but I do want to start off by reading this before the episode begins. And this was written by John Parrott Jr., who was a resident of Audubon for many years, and it's a pretty good summary of the history of Operation T-Bone. So the tale of how it all started. In the early days, the local cattle shippers were feeding a lot of cattle to the prime grade, and the best market for them was in Chicago. Every week during the late fall and early winter, they made shipments over the Northwestern Railroad to Chicago. The local shippers used to invite Al, um, so that's Al Cruz, who they kind of call, this is my edition, by the way, the father of Operation T-Bone. Um, so when we talk about Al or Albert, um, that is who we're referencing here. Um, the local shippers used to invite Al to ride with them, but he declined the invitations after hearing Raymond Merck describe how drafty, cold, and uncomfortable the caboose could be. Al replied after getting an invite that if and when they had a Pullman car available on the train cattle train he would be happy to go with them and their cattle operation to the chicago market one day a representative of the northwestern railroad came into the bank to visit Cruz about the cattle business at that time al approached him about hitching a pullman car to the train the railroad man said it would be impossible since they could not get heat and light through all the cattle cars back to the pullman car at a later date it dawned upon al that perhaps they could put the Pullman first and the cattle cars on behind. The railroad men were a little embarrassed that they had not thought of that idea. The railroad then agreed to furnish the Pullman for the shippers and others if they could charge a little extra and fill the car. A short time later, Al mentioned the subject to a group out at Elmer Carlson's cabin one night. Everyone was so enthusiastic that the idea was unstoppable. Thus, Operation T-Bone was born. A trainload of cattle and a Pullman car full of shippers and businessmen were soon signed up to make the trip to Chicago. The railroad was delighted and gave full cooperation. Al went into Chicago a few days before the big shipment to make arrangements on that end. The naming of the affair came about from a discussion between Al Cruz and Joe Skl. Sk- I'm sorry, some of these names, <laughs> Joe Sklinner, who was then editing a paper owned by Elmer Carlson. Elmer assigned him to be publicity manager for the project, and he really did a bang-up job. That's a direct quote, by the way. (laughs) One night, at a meeting between Al and Joe, they began discussing names for the event. Joe suggested Operation Sirloin. That sounded pretty good to Al, but he preferred Operation T-Bone. It was okay with Joe, and it had been called that ever since. The Northwestern Railroad pulled out after the first year, so the Rock Island was contacted. The top officials were so impressed with the operation, they joined in immediately. It became a happy marriage that lasted for many years. Each year, a group of Rock Island Railroad officials would come out a day in advance of the shipment. Their purpose was to make friends and to have a good time. Some of these men held high positions in the Rock Island line, such as Ben Wells, general manager, Bernie Schwartz, general freight agent, Orville Morgan, superintendent of lines, Carl Weston, livestock agent, John Stewart freight agent and MF Parks passenger agent they observed what needed and desired they observed what was needed and desired and did their best to provide it it was a big task for them to get the cattle cars assembled here and to make ready the pullman cars after they had found them in the meantime it was a job for crews and the personnel at the First State Bank to get things coordinated on this end the railroad wanted to know in advance how many cattle cars and pullman to get ready Hotel LaSalle in Chicago wanted to know how many rooms to reserve, how many would be to breakfast, and how many would attend the dinner sponsored by First State Bank. The bus company wanted to know how many passengers there would be to transport from the Union Stockyards to the LaSalle Hotel. The thing was that created these problems was the shippers and business people who waited until the last minute to make reservations for the trip. I feel ya. I understand that problem. <laughs> However, the railroad officials cooperated the best that they could. Cruz made friends with the head head caterer named Otto from the LaSalle Hotel, who helped a lot in making the affairs at the hotel run smoothly. Operation T-Bone caused more of a stir than was ever thought possible. The railroad and Union Stockyards, which I want to be clear, that's the Union Stockyards in Chicago, not the Union Stockyards in Omaha at this time, both had their public relations men get into the act from the very start. The Chicago Tribune newspaper also got into the act and had a large spread about the event on their front page, along with a full page of pictures. Of course, the wire services covered the action and spread it to most papers in the nation as well as the London Times. Feature writers from numerous magazines also did their share to spread the word about Operation T-Bone. One writer called Al from New York, wanting to know all of the details. He stated that he didn't need any pictures, as he had some of our cows and bulls. Cruz asked the details. Cruz asked him how he knew the cattle were cows and bulls, and he replied that the ones with the white faces were bulls and the black ones were cows. At that point, Cruz suggested he better get some help to write his article. In the early days, several people had a hand in starting and putting on Operation T-Bone that included Ed Howe of First State Bank and Earl Foster of Carlson's Hybrids. In later years, there were others who contributed a great deal to the success of Operation T-Bone, but Cruz often remarked, quote, it is cattle shippers that are the backbone of Operation T-Bone. When it was all said and done, Al Cruz, with the beginning, with the backing of First State Bank, that really provided the leadership and backing that got the thing off the ground and kept it going for so many years. It is no wonder that Al Cruz has often been called Mr. T-Bone. Well, if I ever wanted to feel like a narrator for a storybook, I just had that experience. But I think that is a very good background and baseline idea of what Operation T-Bone was. So like I said, I've got more nuggets from that book that I'm going to share, but I don't want to hold off on this episode any further. And we will go ahead and jump right in. As a reminder, um, don't forget to subscribe to the pod and leave five stars. If you feel that I'm worthy of that, you can decide and listen um, as we go. But without further ado, let's get started.
1: Well, uh, I, I started in 1945, and you know what how the straight truck is. mm mm-hmm. Well, that's all we had that time, and I sent two truckloads out that time. Okay. And, and I, I I don't know when they start with trailers, but that that was in late. Forties or early fifties, I think, and then, uh, well, anyway, that that's where I started. You, you get to Omaha, then you got the uh, commission firms out there, like we we we, we had sent to. Uh, Byers Brothers was one commission firm, and Wellman's one, just for example. That that was the. the commission firms that you sent the cattle to them, or who your favorite one, and there was, I, I i don't know how many commission firms there was, there was a lot of them out there. And then the you, you, you sent your cattle where you want, who you want, or the commission uh, come out here, look, look at your cattle usually, and uh, if you know, and, and uh, Sent the cattle to them. Well, then they was pens out there. You know how they are. And, and, and I, I don't know each commission have how many, how many pens. Quite a few. And then they the, then the buyers looking for cattle. They would come around, and look that they'd go in the pens and look at the cattle and leave and maybe left with b- bid and some they wouldn't even say anything. And, and that was just the way the way they sold the cattle out there. Well then the you finally got yet the right one that the the the, the firm would have the uh, have the be- best bid he had. He he probably sell the cattle to them and then they are and then their uh, exchange building they called it that, that that's where all the, all the firms they had their offices in in that in that exchange building and uh, then you'd you'd go up there and then they would have your they would get have you figured what they'd got for the cattle and how much it cost us to have them sold it for you and uh, you get your check and come home.
0: So when you sold, did you did you go to, um, did you have merchants that you liked that you would go to every time or as much as you could? Or was it just whoever could give you the best price?
1: Well, sometimes they would wait and wait for another another bid, you know, and, and you just uh, let your commission would would best again, you know and he'd, uh, he'd get the highest bid and that, that, that's about the way it works
0: what was the how was the cattle industry different then Do the what how was the cattle industry different you know in the 40s and the 50s what was it like then so it's a lot different than it is today
1: the prices you mean any of it well <laughs> They the, the cattle were cheap, you know. Uh, I, 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 I fed a lot of heifers here before, just kind of cheap stuff, cheap to buy and to feed them about so far and get rid of them. And uh, I one time I had a a load of uh, well cheap looking cattle and actually they were cheap stuff but they'd put some in and I, I, I think I got 18 cents for those.
0: It's a lot cheaper than it is today.
1: From well today they're a dollar and forty, forty-five a look right in that area now. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. But then we fed better cattle later on, and so when 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 Dwayne got in with me, we were feeding mostly steers, and and and, and we would uh, fed the best there was, you might say, and they they, they were prime when they left here. And, uh, but then we didn't go to the exchange building. Then we went to eaters served where the. Well, that's in the past, you know. Going to the exchange building, you know, There's no, uh, there's no firms out there anymore. It's just uh, there's Packers now, you know, at uh, Denison and, and uh, Omaha. Yeah, and a couple farms out there and stuff like that. Yeah, they they they, they were sold before they left here.
0: So when you were going out to Omaha did you see really nice animals and not so nice you know quality wise was there everything?
1: Yes it just for an example but my dad when he was sent a few out there and, and and he he would ride he would load here in the evenings sent them to Omaha, and he, he would ride with the truck out there. Really? Yes. And then the next day, he'd get the, get the cattle sold, and then he'd find, if he could find the truck out there, it was coming back there, this way again. <laughs> it cost too damn much to fry, too, uh, to drive out there. Well, model the life. Ford or something you know like that you know.
0: Yeah. you <laughs> would be a hitchhiker right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, old dad's done that many times just rope. He'd get in with the truck out there and the next day he'd find somebody find a truck c- coming back close back here and yeah, he'd always get home. <laughs>
0: So in that exchange building, there was a lot more than just merchant offices, right? There yes. Yes. So what was all in that building back in its heyday? Yeah, yeah.
1: I, 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 I guess I really don't. Can you help me with that? I,
2: I'm not sure what what all businesses might have been in that exchange building. Um. I. I don't know because there had to be more than commission agents oh, that, that, at that okay. time. Well, yes. Um, I remember going out there as a kid and and the first thing you walked past was was a guy sitting in his chair shining shoes for all the cowboys that, that passed through. And because everybody needed their boots shined up after walking out in the cattle pens. And as far as what businesses, I don't I don't really know. But that was a big building. There had to be more than commission <laughs> agents from the stockyards.
0: Well, some of the, I mean, not that I was there, so who knows if my information's any good or not. But, you know, people say there were apartments and a hotel in there and, you know, banks and restaurants.
2: Well, there was restaurants there and a bar. The bar was the most important. <laughs> they, had, they had the best soda back in the day when I was a child.
0: Yep.
1: I, uh, Well, that, after 45, then I got, after that, then, then I, I was in the service there from 51 and 52. So I was, of course, I was out of cattle business yep. at that time. Well, that, that's when TB, T-Bone started in 1951 and, I, of course, I didn't, well, they, they, they would ship cattle to Chicago the shippers would, well, the the the, the owners would get in a, in that train going to Chicago, and, and just ride the cattle, and uh, well, I never did that because it it cost money in which I didn't have any to, to spare. I, I was just as old like everybody else didn't have any money. And then when when they really started to go to sh- shipping to Omaha, but then I started going out there with them. What year did we get? You, you and I got in with the cattle with the T-bone that time.
2: We we got invited to be part of the T-bone committee in 1994. So we we were involved with we were t-bone committee members for 28 years yeah
0: and for someone you know let's say someone's going to listen to this who's never heard of t-bone or operation t-bone describe it a little bit what was the purpose of t-bone
2: t-bone was started to promote uh the prime fed beef from Audubon county that was that was the initial um Goal to uh, make everyone in the country aware of, of the the quality product that that we had here in Audubon County, and um, and I know um, John Parrott always said it best. He goes, "It's not that we just raised beef. He goes, we fed them to the prime grade, and um, and not everyone did that, but being in in Audubon County where where there's an abundance of corn, we we had plenty of corn to do that and, and feed them to the prime grade. So, and that, and that's what Operation T-Bone still, um, that's still our goal today, promoting beef.
0: Because at the start, you were loading them up on train and sending them to Chicago, right? That was the first,
1: yep, the first destination. Yeah, Chicago was the first destination, yes. Yes, and when they quit in Chicago, well, then they went to uh, to uh, Oakland and slaughtered the cattle. But then that then the buyers could look. There's the carcass. Each they'd be hanging, and and, and then 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 the buyers would go to Kansas City to party. The feeders. Yeah. And no, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't have money, no. So I just let him go play. <laughs> well, when the, we went to Omaha with T-bone cattle, that was a special day out there. Then then, then the T-bone boys, a lot of them, went out the night before and, and, and they kind of had a, a banquet out, out there, which was, went all, all, all on the, the commission forms putting that on. And uh, well, that was like everything else. And I ain't gonna say no no names, but there was some from Audubon, they'd say, now, now that this mustn't get home. <laughs> well, I had one, one friend here that we had went out, and we had to come home and chore the next morning before we go out and chore and get back out before football home again. So we, we didn't party out out there. But that was some, and in, in, in fact, one guy went with us out there that and he had, now he was just gonna stay there. And there again, I don't say no name. But the name. <laughs> the next morning we got there this guy was sitting on the steps out there. He hadn't been to bed yet. <laughs> so that's...
0: He had a big night.
1: Yeah, he had a good night. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I... How much more do you want now?
0: Well, it just... It's little stories like that. You know, today we don't have anything that's, you know, going to Omaha to sell your cattle or for Operation t and that was a big deal. Yeah. And we just don't. That's not something that exists today.
1: Well, another thing I hadn't get in here, I guess, with the with the stockyards had the 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 the, um, the ranchers would ship some of their cattle in there and have them had the commission farms sell those like to to me or something like that, you know. And I remember one day that uh, the commission fan, I, he, he'd called me, he said, we are gonna have some awful good cattle in." I said, we just buy you some? Or do you want to come out and see them? Well, better come out and see see what you got. Which I and another drove out to look at those cattle and it was cold that day, cold, cold. And uh, oh, there wasn't anything happening. And a commission fan said to well, us, "You just as well go home, and I'll and I'll buy these cattle pretty cheap, because it's cold and it's gonna snow, and and the the buyers want them cattle sold." Sure enough, he I wasn't home right long, and he called and he got your load of cattle. They'll be on the road a little bit, but but. So that, that that that's the way they will work, you know. That they work for you like that, That's what they were for out there, you know. But yes, later's later. Yes, they 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 just had sales out there where they had uh, auctioneers and sort of mm-hmm. stuff like that.
0: Were some of those merchants kind of shifty? Did you ever hear stories of them? You know, kind of being naughty out there, playing well, dirty.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you um there there's certain cattle buyers, feeder buyers that you could never trust. Um they was always doing things for their best interest. So um we 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 had our the commission agent um uh, his name was Dick Jensen. He was with Buyer Brothers. Buyer's Brothers. He was the one that sold the fat cattle for us. And um and also um, he was awfully good at, at placing feeder cattle. And that's what dad was just talking about. These feeder cattle come in from the ranches and, and, and Dick, Dick could be trusted. Um, some others couldn't, you could, you could leave him with an open checkbook and and he would do the, the right business for you. Um, so yes, there was, there was always shady deals. And, um, and the crazy thing is nothing's changed. We still have that today where, um, in, in the feeder cattle business, especially, um, there's certain ones you can trust, um, there's certain ones you better not trust. And, and it only takes one, um, one bad business deal to figure out um, who the bad apples are, and, and you just leave them alone, I guess.
0: Yeah. Do you think that that got better or worse, or did it change at all when the Packers became more of a player?
1: Well, Rex Davis was was the the, the one when I was in that, them early days. You, you, you didn't know him, I don't. Think, no, did, did you? No, he, he was the he was the first one. You trust okay. him? Yeah, him yeah. Too. Yes, he he was he was for the man. He he wasn't for himself. He was back in the early days, selling fat cattle at the
2: stockyards. When um when you when when your commission agent sold them for you then they dealt with the, with the packer buyers as they strolled through your pen looking at your cattle. Um, and yes, how that has changed, and, and since the stockyards have closed and, and then the buyers um, come to your farm, um, you, you figure out in a hurry, we, over the years we've, we always had maybe four different buyers that would come to the farm and, and look at your fat cattle. Um, there was some we liked better than others, and and you you had to really stand your ground, hold your position on them because of course they they would try to buy the cattle. Their job is to buy the fat cattle as cheap as they can, um, and so it it was always um, you always you had to have a different frame of mind when it come to um, uh, selling fat cattle direct on the farm. Uh, basically uh no more Mr. nice guy this is for me and and it was always um, you you wanted the best bid, and they was always um not willing to do that and um you might not have got them sold that the day they come to look, but if they were needing cattle, they'd call you back and um and give you that that bid offer you that bid that you were asking so um the cattle business is. It can, it can be a lot, a of, lot of pleasure, but it can be vicious too when it comes to um, marketing. Marketing is what seemed to be um, some of the toughest things we ever did, but um, it, it all works out, and and um, and and when them, it, it always seemed when them buyers weren't, weren't buying the cattle, they're 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 just uh, regular people, and and. Um, they're just doing their job when when they're um, when they're when they're looking for fat cattle.
1: So anything more to add to that? Well, not really. The the stockyards was a large area out there that time. You know, just it wasn't just a few block here and there. It was well when after you started, even they. Even I don't know. they didn't have too many feeder cattle that time. You know, They was just no. They, they that, the, the stockyards for calves were, they was that they were further west, they were closed out by that time.
2: Right. The feeder, the feeder cattle division um, ended way before the yeah before they started before they stopped selling fat cattle. Um, I'm not sure how that came
1: about. Well, I really don't know, but the shippers. The ranchers sent, sent a lot in up cattle and had them sell them out there, you know. Just whatever they could take for the calves. And
2: I was involved some. I remember in the 70s uh, when the the feeder cattle division, um, that was K-Livestock Marketing. And that's what I remember. And it was always an auction. Yeah. And and they would bring in these, these cattle from the ranches and, and they would market these. Um, the one unique thing about the stockyards um, in the early days, selling the fat cattle, and even even up until they closed, I suppose, um, when these cattle when they left the stockyards, um, the alleys, they some of them led right to the packing houses. They didn't have to reload them cattle. They just ran them down the alleys, right to the right to the packer under the streets and 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 across the way to to be slaughtered. And and I believe um, where Nebraska Beef is today, and maybe greater Omaha as well, they're still positioned close enough to the stockyards. There were probably two of them that are still working, um, that are in operation today, that that that—that that was the situation back in the day. They would just drive them cattle down the down the alleys after they were sold, right to the slaughterhouse. How things have changed.
0: Yeah, so explain a little because there are people that listen to this who aren't you know don't have an ag background a farming background how does that differ from today you know the supply chain or the movement of you know livestock from the farm to get to you know the grocery store essentially
2: Mm.
0: how is that different today
2: well i'll help you out here i guess i don't know every Everything still the 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 final destination is the same today as it was um, back when the stockyards were really um, up and running. Um, you you still have the packers. You still have the the middleman that that buys the the box beef, and then it's some um, then it's shipped off to to restaurants and um, and retailers, grocery stores. Um, the the biggest difference is we you sell your cattle direct off the farm and and you don't ship them to to the
0: stockyards
2: to Omaha to to get them sold.
0: And the stockyards were kind of a I don't know if you want to call it a melting pot or blended there was a lot of different kinds of people out there weren't oh, yeah. there? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So when, you know you' talked some about they'd bring, I'm assuming from the West like the ranchers and uh, more of the, the cowboy type. And then as you move towards Iowa, there's more of the farmer you know type. Was it pretty easy to tell who was who were the ranchers and who were the maybe more farmers when you got out there?
2: Yeah, I think some of the biggest thing the, the ranchers that were that were bringing in feeder cattle, they all wore cowboy hats. And um, and the, and the farmers that were there to buy the the calves, the farmers from Iowa, um, they yeah they they did all their cattle chores, fed cattle before they went to the went to Omaha to buy these feeders, and and yeah, I, <laughs> I I'm not, I I'd, I'd say that was the biggest difference in. And when I, in my days, when I used to go to the stockyards as a, as a kid and, well, even in, uh, in the eighties, um, when I, when I owned the cattle as well, um, it was always a unique group. The, the, the employees that would work in these, in these yards and run cattle up and down the alleys and familiar faces every time you would, you would get out there and didn't know their names, but you know, they'd be, they'd be carrying their whips and, and, um, driving these cattle back and forth and whatever they might be doing and but good people the whole the whole bunch it was just you some were from Montana and and we were from Iowa so that um, a great group of guys we all had something in common
1: we were in the cattle business and we had the on T-bone we have some sellers that would just wait let their shrink a little bit more than they get the top dollar. She just, it, it wasn't. It wasn't done. He, he, was just wanted, wanted to be the top one. I'll tell you. Know. And it, we had one done like that.
0: Always wanted to be number one. Oh, he,
1: he just wanted. He just wanted to have the have top. You know. Yeah. yeah. And one time I asked Dick Jensen, I says, "Is, there any way to be, beat him?" Oh yeah, I said we can do that. So he just kind of hung on, hung on to mine there a little bit on uh, mine, and I said, "Dick, you better get them cattle on the scales. They're they're shrinking." Well, you know what he said? He's said, yeah. Well, I I I got that quarter. She <laughs> said, "Says well, we're selling them now." Well, I I I I, I had top that way.
0: <laughs> so it was kind of a competitive thing amongst yourselves yeah, to yeah. be number one.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it was very much so. And that that one feeder, and he would do that every year. Oh, um, them cattle. We'd be at the noon banquet in, in the ballroom of the the exchange building, where where the the exchange commission they would um, they would they would have um, a, a big uh, dinner for us at, at noon, and every day the the T-bone
0: or the, for, for, for that t yep, for yep. The,
2: for T-bone, for the T-bone, and um, and somebody would say, well, where's so and so? Oh, he's still out there trying to get his cattle sold, and by now it's noon, and the buyers have been milling through these pens since seven o'clock that morning, and um, and this this guy he would he would most often get top, but they shrunk them cattle for five hours walking through them, and and our cattle were long gone to the scale by that time. So it was always um, it was very competitive, but but the main the main focus was the quality of cattle, how you finished them, um, and and at the the cattle that were shipped on the t-bone um, day um, they were the best quality ever, and nothing has changed. It's same same today with with the with the t-bone auction, the fat cattle sale.
0: When you were taking t-bone out to Omaha. Were people beyond, you know, the people in Omaha and the merchants, I mean, were they aware of T-Bone? Was it, were they excited for those cattle? You know, did they know that the good stuff was coming in? Was it a big deal for them too?
2: I, I think it was very much so. Um, the, there was always a couple um, radio stations there, reporters, and they'd be walking the pins, talking to us, uh, the, the T-Bone shippers and and the newspaper the Omaha World Herald was there taking notes interviewing people from Ottoman County so it, it was a it was a celebration not only for Ottoman County it was for the for the stockyards as well it was a big day and and I know and it wasn't just T-bone cattle that were at the auction or at the stockyards that certain day and I've I've heard stories where other people from other areas of the state or Nebraska as such, wherever they might bring them in, they would, they would bring their cattle there when Operation T-Bone was going to be at the stockyards because oftentimes they, they fetched a better price that day. So it was, yeah, it was a celebration. And then the, the, the interviews, the, the radio station, they, they made their way to the exchange building and um i remember that so well they would be there interviewing um, cattle feeders at, at the at the banquet and it was yeah it was quite a deal it it was it was quite the celebration i'm sure they all looked forward to that because it was um they were helping promote our beef
0: so dale did your dad farm and have cattle too or were you the first in the family to have the cattle business
1: yeah my dad was and uh, he he sent cattle out there, in, in in. Well, I I I yeah, he probably sent some out in the thirties even.
0: Right at you know way at the beginning of yeah. stockyards.
1: And he would. Well. sometimes they, would well these truckers would look. Uh, oh, pick one here and there. They an old cow they want to sell or something, you know, that they they get a load of just a straight truck that would know, take them to Omaha. Yep. Yeah, just uh, just one one from here and then maybe neighbor another's got another old cow that's time to sell and before he dies and... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Time to get it gone.
1: Yeah, yeah. Make make money out of it. Yeah. Just be ham hamburger, but yeah, that's right.
0: So when you started farming and you know working with the cattle business, was that what you always wanted to do, or is it just what you kind of fell into doing?
1: No, I was. It just I wanted to do. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: What made you want to, want to keep with the business?
1: Why did I? Because mm-hmm. it was what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yes.
0: What made you so sure that that was what, you know?
1: When I, when I come back from Korea 70 years ago, and I was still in, in, in Indiana in a camp down there, I can see this guy yet, big guy with brass. He called me in his office one day and just after I got back there and he says, I, I hope I can talk you to, to stay to stay in the Army. I, I don't think you can do that. I, I, we need like guys like you. you, you've been through it. I said, Let somebody else. You can't chalk me into it. I, I says, I got some cattle at home that got, gotta be fed and that's where I'm gonna be. That's just where I was.
0: Yep. Did being in the Army help you realize that you wanted to come back and farm?
1: Oh yeah, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I couldn't wait to get out of there and get to back to farming again. Yep. I I served the, I served them a, the country and that's what I wanna do. Yep. And I come out of it alive.
0: What was your your job when you were in? Medic. hmm
1: I had a like three hundred and twenty in our company and 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 that was I I, I followed them up on the line and uh, well, I carried an M1 rifle, bay, bay, Besides, to protect myself, with, with and uh, yeah, I went through hell and everything else. But I, uh, I survived. A lot of them, they didn't make it. I think there was 151,000 Americans killed, was during the Korean War. Yep.
0: So when uh, you came, when you came back, you were done in the service. Came back to farm. Had things changed very much on the farming side? Do you feel? Well,
1: my dad was still farming. Yeah, and uh, well, he died right after that. But I, but I had, I had a brother that was helping mm-hmm. in there too.
0: Was farming very different? Do you feel like when you got back, or was it kind of just like stepping back into it?
1: Oh, uh, just like I was, right, fall right into it again. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So I've always wanted to ask too. So I grew up with a row crop background. So I always heard about you know the the farming crisis and how that really affected row crop farmers, especially. Did you, in the you know, late 70s and the 80s, feel much of that in the cattle business, too, or was it not so?
2: Well, the, the one thing in the cattle business, in, when the 80s hit, was the high interest rates. Um, and there was years you hardly made enough money on the cattle to pay the interest. So, so yes, it, it affected um, the livestock, just like it did the, the row crop
1: um, farming end of it. Uh, very much so. Yeah, well it was, I I don't know, that that was, oh well, we Gary a, a Rue Piper called one time from Carroll, remember that when we was working down by the silo, we was going to run some bins? Had some cattle up there um, come up and look. This was at the Carroll sale barn. So, oh, of course. we. We went up there and looked at them, and of course we bought them. Next day I went to go to the bank to get the money. Interest, 19%. Yes, that's as high as I ever paid for interest.
0: Yeah, you know, people talk now about the interest being high, but it's nothing compared I, I, to that. I,
1: I, I, I think they even had to buy some corn to feed them cattle, but uh, it seemed like it worked out, you know.
0: <laughs> you made it through.
1: Yeah, yep. I stayed alive. <laughs> I'm still alive today. So
0: <laughs> oh, That's all that matters.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: So do you think that when, because... Today, there's not near as many people who run cattle in a pasture like there was, you know, 50 years ago. You're, there's more, you know, big feedlots or, you know, bigger producers and fewer of the independent, you know. You don't see as many farmers that are farming their crops and have a 100 head of cattle. Do you think that influenced the stockyards fall? Do you think that had anything to do with it, or was that more just the Packers?
2: I don't really know what caused the the slowdown, the shutdown of the the stockyards, um, because I think there was there was still a lot of cattle. Yeah, let's um rephrase that. There, the the direct buying on the farms really got popular. Where the where the buyers from the packing houses were, were were traveling the country instead of uh, they were buying direct off the farm. Um, some of it was too. Maybe just the city of Omaha um, was working their way to maybe to shut it down, to, so the city wouldn't have wouldn't have the stockyards. I really don't know, or, or maybe the maybe the stockyard closing down was just because of the d- direct buying of, of cattle from the packers but there is a lot yeah less less cattle on uh, on smaller farms today um, some of that is because the next generation didn't want to um, didn't want to pursue that that cattle feeding business um, I think a lot of, many things come into play. It's a tough business. Very um, rewarding, very enjoyable. You, you gotta have your heart into it or it's not gonna work.
1: Well, when I was working with Duane here, we uh, always worked real, real, real together, father and son, we never said, word about much anything did we? No nope. no nope. and uh, when when I I go Texas in the wintertime and he'd take care of everything, well I'd come home and, and maybe he'd run out the Colorado or Arizona or somewhere worse. Before he go to the field, and I and I take up every everything, and it was that's just, just the way it worked. If I I can take over, I could take it, and he'd take. It. So when when I quit, then it was something else, and I kind of. So I, I don't blame him in that he kind of. Kind of folded up because, you can't you, you can't fire a man to, to, to feed cattle for you no, it, it don't work just got to do it yourself
0: working with family doesn't always go that good for everybody though not every family can work together
1: (laughs) yeah 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 yeah
0: but to me that's the neat part even today about you know all farming but especially it seems like the cattle industry it's still very family oriented oh yeah there's still a lot of families involved in raising cattle yep Yep. Does that make it more special for you?
2: A cattle business that can be, yeah, that that can continue through generations, and I, I'd, I'd be the third generation that that fed cattle uh, from my grandpa Gents to, to dad to me, and um, so it, it it is a special a special bond with with the farm and the cattle business and family that that you have that. That you um, you get in your blood, and it's it's just something that that you always desire to do. Not only maybe because um, your grandfather did it, it's it's what you enjoyed as well. But um, and I I think without without um, a prior generation feeding the cattle, um, you it, it could never continue with the family you um, young people just don't start up feeding cattle they had to have some connection some some way to to begin
1: well it's just one it's one thing if if you're going to be in cattle you got to stay in you can't be in, in, in and out you got got to stay there one way or the other way because it won't, won't work any in and out cuz you're going to lose
0: why do you think that is i noticed that too other you know, like take pigs, for example. You will see people get into them and get back out of them. But why won't that work with the cattle?
2: Well, with the cattle business, there, there's always highs and lows with the market. And, and if you think you're smart enough to outguess the market in the cattle business, you're fooling yourself. So, um, so you got to, if you're in the business, you, you have the pins full all the time and you always, you're always buying, you're always selling, and uh, the more majority of the years um, it, it works more times than it doesn't. You have years when it didn't work so well, you lose some money, the next year you make it back. Uh, now, so now, nowadays it seems um, you have a lot more dollars involved than we did years ago with, with the cattle business, the value of uh, the feeder cattle you're buying, the value of the fat cattle. Um, there's a lot more hedging going on. You got to go to the um, protect yourself on on paper to um, to try to make it work. Maybe limit limit your losses if there is potential losses. Um, it's it's always a case where um, if you're if you're gonna the years we fed cattle. If you're going to be in it, you keep the pins full and. Um, and most times it worked really well.
0: Managing risk in any farming venture, that's always the big, the big ticket. If you can figure out how to hedge your bets, you're gonna be ahead of the game, but that's easier said than done.
1: Well, I, 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 like he said, yeah, we sometimes we load up a pen in the morning, in the calves, it was in in in, in the pen before night, it kept the pens full. That's what we done, like Duane says.
0: So, for both of you, as you've gone through your lives, what's been the biggest change to the cattle industry that you've seen? The,
1: the biggest change.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think? Like, what would you say it is?
1: Oh i i guess in anymore there's the larger feeders that take t- taken over you know and as mm-hmm. far as a different change I, I i don't know gradually you know but it ain't it, it, it doesn't just happen overnight you know but the cattle right now are' it's really a gamble now if you're pit eating and are they're, they're high and the corn is high and but that, that, that we, we got pick a couple of friends in and They're still staying right in, in there and they and have come through it.
0: Dwayne, what about you? What do you think's been the biggest change?
2: Well, like Dad said, the, yeah, the, the smaller feeders are disappearing. We could drive around the section and, and you could just point out the, the six places where, where neighbors used to feed cattle and, and the pins are long gone. Um, the biggest change the last few years is the the Packers have the upper hand. They, they seem like they always have that, but, but the Packer margins have, have gotten so outrageous. Um, a lot of times we're, we're just scratching to make a profit. Um, the Packers are making tremendous profit. Um, the The number of Packers have... Have gotten to be less and less. We got, you know, four major packers that that buy most of the cattle, um, some of which are um, are not owned in the U.S. That that's one of the biggest um, dilemmas we have, <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know what what can change that. The the we have. We have some politics involved that are trying to get um, more transparency, more open, more um, cattle being bought, more on the open market other than contracts. But um, the it seems like the big feedlots, that's the way they work. They, they are, these cattle are contracted um, in, in which a lot of these, some of these cattle in these big feedlots are owned by the packers. And, and it makes it difficult to be competitive. We can have the best cattle in the country, but if, they, if they're not willing to pay for them, um, it, it, makes, it a, makes it a very tough business to, to continue.
0: One thing that I've noticed now that I don't think has changed is that people still want good quality meat. Nobody wants to eat junk. So I think having quality beef is still important to people. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's probably changed. Would you agree?
2: People still like a good steak. <laughs> yep, and um, that is that is so true. And and it is um, yeah. I don't I don't know if that'll ever change. The, that that people will yeah they'll if they go to a fine restaurant they want a they want a good steak they don't want it tough they want it. They wanted the steak that, that came from a, a prime-fed beef, and um, so, so true. That, that is nothing that, that has not changed. I don't, I'm, I'm guessing that'll continue. Anybody gets uh, the taste of good beef, they, they still enjoy a good steak.
0: This is kind of off, off topic, but because it's, I guess, a little related, what's your favorite way to eat beef?
2: Hard to beat a good ribeye. Yeah.
0: Yep. Just a good, a good grilled steak.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yep.
0: Well, I think the other thing about the the beef industry is like we've talked a little bit some of those stories and the people that keep it interesting. Do you have any? I know you've shared a few. Yeah. Do you have any favorite stories from your time in the cattle industry?
2: Cattle, the cattle business. It's it's been a good a, a good business. It's it's made a good life on the farm. Yeah. The being part of the T-bone committee made it really special the last years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Promoting beef while feeding while feeding cattle.
0: Maybe there's a few of them that are just too too wild and crazy that you don't want to have out there. <laughs>
2: Some of them stockyard days, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well good. Well, unless you've got any any parting words or final, final stories you wanna add and you know, appreciate your time and
2: And I, I can just add, um, Dad is, is ninety six years old and and he just quit Feeding cattle with me in in 2014, so um, he he knew how to do it, and and I had to. It just made me chuckle um, at the at the fair um, a couple of weeks ago. Our our nephew was the judge for the for the cattle show, and um, and Dad was sitting there in a chair, and and when there'd be six show cattle come in or whatever number it may have been. He would always sit there in that seat, and he had the number one um, critter picked out that was going to be the grand champion in every group, um, sometimes second and third. He always had second and third, but maybe he got them mixed up compared to what the judge had, had chosen. So it is um, it is funny how once you have – it's in your blood, you have an eye for cattle. You never lose that. So um, – and Dad has always always had that. When we used to sort fat cattle for the – for the, for the T-bone sale, um, him and I would never really have to talk. We could just point and we all had we both had the eye for which, which um, steer was headed our way and if it was going to the auction, um, the best of the best or, or if it was if it was going to go in the small pin. So um, so Dad do he did it for a number of years and, and you, you never lose your touch for for picking out the best the best fed steer.
1: I down to the state fair was one time, well, several times. My my brother-in-law was along, and and uh, I and he was running around together. That we let the ladies go their way, and I said to Mel, "Let's go in this here. I think they're showing cattle in here. We can sit and rest a little bit." so they were walking what walk, walking the cattle around there and I don't know how many was 20 2030 and I said to Melvin there's the winner right there that one there well how in the hell do you know he says <laughs> and it was I I, 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 I I picked it out all right you, you, you just got a knack of doing that and seeing that you you, you don't forget it and how I don't know but uh once you got it you never lose it yeah yeah well we've had a lot of cattle here too so yep
0: you've had a lot of chances to get good at it
1: a lot of experience that's right Yep. yeah what we run here around 20,000 while we was together
0: yep and that was over how many years?
2: Yeah. About? Yeah. That was that was over a oh a short with with dad involved, a short forty years. Yep. Yep. So I guess after that many you you better be good at it or you're not gonna be in business.
0: No.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. Well, no, I appreciate your time, Dale and Dwayne, you too and Know, lots of stories you've had to share, and you'll be, you'll be a a cattle person the rest of your lives. You'll never be...
2: always be a cattle person. If the pins are empty, you're
1: still a cattle person. Yep,
0: yep. never gonna lose that.
1: Well, Dwayne, kind of helped me out here this morning because I don't, uh, I, I can't. My memory isn't quite like it should be, but.
0: Well, I think you did pretty good Dale. Well, Especially you remembered who wanted to have the number one cow at the sale.
2: You can remember <laughs> yes.
0: that, you can remember it all. <laughs>
2: you
0: know, that you never forget good competition.
2: No, that's right.
0: This is Emily from the future again adding in some little tidbits to the end of this episode. Uh, from this History of Operation T-Bone book that, like I said, Dwayne and Dale were kind enough to loan to me. Um, There's some neat neat stuff in here. I'm a local history buff or a... I like old history. I like old local history. And so to read some of these old excerpts from my hometown and people who, you know, maybe I didn't know them, but I know their kids and their grandkids is something that's pretty special... There's, I don't know how many pages are in this book. There's 150 pages in this book. And I'm going to read the whole thing. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I did go ahead and pull out, though, some of my favorite little excerpts from this book that I thought I would share with you. Because some of them are pretty neat. Some of them are first-hand accounts of Operation T-Bone from back in the day. And, um, you know, you just can't, you can't get any better than this. So, um, this is a letter that was written to the T-Bone committee. Um, by a former dentist named James Ram- James Ramsey. My gosh, some of these names. Um, so this was written in 19... Well, excuse me. It was He made the trip to Chicago in 1951, which would have been the first year of T-Bone. So I'm going to at least read some pieces of this, because um, I think it's pretty interesting. I do not recall the year the first T-Bone was run, probably in the early 50s. However, I do recall how businessmen happened to be invited to attend. When I first heard about the plans to organize a trainload of beef to be sent to Chicago, I telephoned Al Cruz since he was its instigator. At the time, I was still officed over the Federated Store. I'm assuming that's something that's in downtown Ottoman. Since I built my office in 1955, the first T-bone date had to precede that, so I suppose it was in the early 50s. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, some of those we've already talked about. I asked Al about the plans, and among other items discussed, was who would be taking the trip. His reply was that cattle feeders and shippers would make the group. I said, do you believe they would take businessmen if they were willing to pay their own expenses? His reply was that this had not been considered since no one had thought of it. About a week passed, and he called me, saying that although they had not thought about it nor considered such a prospect, that they would think of no reason to exclude businessmen. Um... I do not recall whether it was the first T-Bone or the second, but in any case, at that time, the train left from Carroll on the Northwestern. I believe I drove up with Griff uh, Griff Eggers, it looks like, who was the chamber secretary at that time, with some other fellows, not certain who else was in the car, but it was heavily snowing, and we slipped off the highway a few miles onto south of Carroll on an ascending hill. Fortunately, we had enough beef in the car to push ourselves out onto the road again and continuing to the passenger station. Then, upon arriving there, while awaiting boarding, one farmer came in from Audubon, and all he had with him was a rather small suitcase. He laid this in the middle of the floor in the station and opened it with several men stood around. The suitcase proved to be filled with pint bottles of whiskey. It seems that this fellow had been designated to pick up the booze for them all at the liquor store. He proceeded to deal these pints out like you would a deck of cards. I really enjoyed that incident. Actually, after we boarded the trains, we found out that the railroad had, quote, beaten us to the punch because on each table, they had a little fifth bottle of bourbon. You heard the expression, candy's dandy, but liquor's quicker. On those first few T-bones, a group from Schleswig joined us at Carroll. I believe each community filled 50 cars, making a 100-car train. On that first one, although they were told to arrive by 7.30 p.m. at the latest, the train actually pulled out of Carroll closer to 11.30 p.m. Yeah, so like Dale said, even off, off our recording too, is those early trips especially were pretty wild. Um, but they were also a time for celebrating and a time for, um, you know, really making a big deal about the beef industry and about these men's livelihood. Uh, So here's an excerpt. This is from 1954. I believe this was from a newspaper article. Um, This is just a, a quote in the middle of this article. Despite the heavy loading schedule, the cars were loaded on time here and moved at the cautious rate of 12 miles per hour over the rails to Atlantic. The Chicago Rock Island Railroad provided two switch engines for the loading in Audubon Saturday morning and afternoon, November 6, 1954. Since the tracks are not maintained for this type of load, about 2,800 tons, a section gang followed each of the engines to Audubon, checking rails for possible damage. Each engine weighed 120 tons. The ordinary traffic here calls for a 60-ton engine. The railroad also provided two carmen during the loading to check the wheel lubricating boxes to make sure each car was in safe condition. So... Essentially, they were overfilling or overloading the rail, um, way more than it was ever intended to. But then when they got out there, it sounds like it was quite, quite a party or quite a time too. Um, upon arrival in Chicago, the group was met by buses chartered by the bank. From the yards to the group went from the yards, the group went to the Sal Hotel to sign in. Afternoon activities for many included a trip back to the yards to see the cattle. Others attended the Bears-Packers professional football game at Wrigley Field or took in a movie. At 6 p.m., the bank was again host to a cocktail hour. At 7 p.m., the banquet got underway. A highlight of the evening was a brief celebration of Mr. T-Bone himself for his birthday. Um, The prime rib dinner was quickly concluded to allow most of the t boneers to attend the Toronto-Chicago hockey game. Um, They had breakfast. Then they had the sale. And they were on TV, too, so it was quite, quite a to-do then. But this is probably one of my favorite stories that I found. Um, it's still from 1954, but it's under its own heading. And the title is Unwanted Visitors on the Train. So I didn't know there was going to be drama in this book, but let's get into this. Al Cruz received a call from the Rock Island Railroad officials asking if it was okay to sell four tickets to some men from Des Moines to make the trip to Chicago. Since Al did not recognize any of the names, he turned them down. Later, as the passengers were boarding the train in Atlantic, Al spotted four strangers in the crowd and asked them if they were attempting to board the train. They said they were not. They were just waiting for a friend. (laughs) Famous last words. After the train left the station, Al made his usual trip from car to car to greet all those who were aboard, and among them seated together were the four strangers. It didn't take much imagination to guess what they were waiting for. Al notified the railroad brass and and accosted them right away. It was finally decided to let them remain on the train as far as Des Moines if they remained in their seats. At Des Moines, they were escorted from the train, but one sneaked back on. He immediately mingled with the local fellows. However, the train hadn't gone far when Al spotted him. Again, Al called the railroad officials, and they took over, stopped the train, and tossed him off somewhere 5 to 10 miles in the countryside east of Des Moines. The four were suspected of being gamblers who were going to take the local boys. Upon reaching LaSalle Hotel in Chicago, Al received a call from the Des Moines Register wanting to know about the incident on the train. It was developed that one of the radio announcers on the train had phoned back and it was on the air. The next day, it was on the front page of all the newspapers. So, Wild Times on the T-Bone, Operation T-Bone ride. Let's see what else I've got marked in here. I did actually spend some time marking out what I wanted to read, so I didn't have to waste time tonight. So, this article from 1957, and a lot of these... The majority of it talks about what they did for fun, where they ate, and then how much the cattle sold for. But I like this article because it really goes in depth of how much the cattle were selling for, but also how much of that money was actually being um, turned into profit, you know, was actually a net profit. Um, so let me start in. Clarence Hendrickson, one of the ones who topped the market this year, farms 1,015 acres in partnership with his two sons. He sold his 40 head of black Angus for an average of about $336 each, or 27 and a quarter cents a pound, with the animal averaging about 1,232 pounds. That was about $96 above what Hendrickson had calculated each animal had cost him in cash expense, including labor, up to the time of the sale. He bought them in Nebraska about a year ago for about $104 each, 25 cents a pound, when they weighed 415 pounds each. Feeding them since then had cost an extra $136, according to Hendrickson's estimates. Most cattlemen agree that shipping a 1,200-pound animal from Audubon to Chicago costs about $10, or 85 cents per 100 pounds. Other expenses of the sale include $1.20 head commission to the firm making the sale, a dollar ahead to the stockyards as a yardage fee, about 50 cents a head for feed and bedding on the yard, 1.6 cents head to the National Livestock and Meat Board to promote increased consumption of beef and four-tenths of a penny for fire insurance. Farmers and cattle feeders, in calculating their profit or loss on an animal, do not include labor. So I think it's easy to get wrapped up in these articles when they're talking about, you know, the cattle sold for this much or that much, um, when we really have no context, especially today, um, of what those things cost. But that article gives a really good idea of what was actually being netted or lost on those animals. So this, I'm not even going to read this word for word, but um, the 1970 article states one of the highlights of being, um, you know, they went to Minneapolis and Albert Cruz was, had knighthood conferred upon him, by King Boris the 34th, Minister Gil Thole, and Bob Shield, Prince of the East Wind, and a hams beer executive. I don't really know what kind of a publicity stunt that is. I have no idea who most of those people are. Um, but apparently that was a really big deal. So it just goes to show that this, this was an event, and this was something that they used you know, to celebrate for many, many years. So as time went on, I mean, here we get into, this is from 1983, and as we talked, you know, Dale and Dwayne and I, farming in the 70s and 80s was tough. Um, And so a lot of people lost their operations, a lot of people lost the size, um, or maybe even the passion for their operating and for their farming. So as I read through, you know, the later years in this book, so in the 70s and the 80s, the mood is a lot more somber. There's less frivolous spending there's less big extravagant events and more local events local dances uh things like that but I really really like this quote um it's from Tom Nielsen who was a businessman in Audubon um and it it just to me it really sums up why this event and why the cattle industry was so important especially at that time Uh, Quote, the farmers and the townspeople are in this together. We'll all suffer or prosper together. And I think that that, that's true of any community, but I think that's especially true of rural communities and of farming communities. I was just having this conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago. If you live in a rural community, whether it's supported by farming or ranching or mining, um, any of those industries the town lives and dies with that industry. So think about mining towns. You know, there was the boom of mining and you know, built up all of these wonderful towns that were busy and bustling and full and as the mining industry fell out or the resources were depleted, those towns died. And of course there's exceptions, but by and large a town lives and dies with its greatest industry and in, in you know Audubon, and in that area, agriculture and, in the case of Operation T Bone beef, were those great industries. So, I think that saying that, yeah, the cattle producers and the town, they they live together and they go down together. I think that's a pretty true statement. And then finally, I just want to finish off with a, a nice. It's a couple paragraphs. That, again, John Parrott, I mentioned him at the beginning of the episode, also wrote this um, summary of T-Bone days and Operation T-Bone for this book. It gives a really good overview of the event from start to, um, well, this book was published in 2000, so for the first 50 years of Operation T-Bone. The original purpose of Operation T-Bone was to spotlight and honor the cattle shippers in the area. The cattle shippers were the backbone of the whole affair and other people and organizations in the area have assisted with making this a community affair. Operation T-Bone has gone through many changes over the years. The train era was from 1951 to 1966 when cattle were shipped by rail to Chicago and the shippers and businessmen were on the same train, cars, and sleepers. This all ended when the packing houses closed in Chicago. The air era was from 1967 to 1970 When the cattle were hauled to american beef packers in oakland iowa the shippers and businessmen went by bus to kansas city where they were entertained by the first state bank and american beef packers they also flew to denver colorado and minneapolis minnesota the local sale barn era was in 1989 to the present time when the cattle were assembled at the local sale barn where they were sold to out of town buyers for shipment to their packing plants some of the very outstanding events over the years include. In 1980, the sale in Omaha of the T-Bone cattle amounted to $1,313,000. The top load brought $71. In 1983, the T-Bone committee made the trip to Arthur, Nebraska to visit ranchers where local feeders purchased their replacement cattle. Some of the outstanding dignitaries who have been a part of the T-Bone celebration are Mayor Lethe of Omaha, Baxter Black, noted cowboy poet, and Bob Feller noted baseball player. The success of Operation T-Bone over the years did not just happen, it was planned and took much effort and hard work. Just when it was about to lose momentum, the shippers themselves stepped forward and furnished the impetus needed to carry on a bigger and better way. This drive was spearheaded by a persistent fellow with ideas galore, Dallas Burkowski. He and several local T-Bone shippers put their heads together to see what they could do to make Operation T-Bone a bigger and more successful event. To finance the whole affair, a unique idea was put into effect. Calves were purchased by local businessmen and then fed out by an equal amount of cattle feeders. At T-Bone time, the finished cattle were sold on the market and the proceeds from the sale of the cattle were used to budget the Operation T-Bone committee. The main purpose of Operation T-Bone was at the present, it's to promote beef consumption. They do this in many ways, such as serving beef as many functions in the area, including the T-Bone Rodeo. So, just to, I feel like I've said this a hundred times. Obviously, I think this is special because it's my hometown, my home area, and you're probably tired of hearing some of these names or even hearing about Audubon. You're not from there, you don't care, and I understand, but I hope that I hope we can all see from a broader perspective of why community events like this are so important. Personally, in my 23 years of living, it's been really sad to watch the community participation or maybe even understanding of T-Bone Days and Operation T-Bone die off. Now, I realize that as we have fewer cattle producers in the county, there's going to be fewer people who are connected to someone who actually participates in selling the cattle. Today, they go about a half hour south to the nearest sale barn um, and do a special cattle sale for the event to keep, keep, you know, the sale portion alive. But I think if you... I'm trying to think of, like, my high school class for existence, for example. If you ask them what T-bone days was for how it started. I don't think that too many would be able to tie it back to the beef industry beyond the fact that it's T-bone days and you can get T-bone steaks. And that doesn't make my generation bad necessarily for not knowing some of this local history. But I think, and I'll get off my soapbox after this, I'll quit rambling. I think that it's our duty to, at a bare minimum, preserve this history. This is a a printed book that I've got in front of me. That's priceless. Looking through it, there's a lot of people in that book who made additions or gave information who I know are gone today. And if there's one thing that you can take away from my ramblings here, it's to ask questions, talk to the Dale Slots of your community. And even if it's just for your own curiosity, soak that information up because you never know what you're gonna learn and you never know what information may pass with time um, and may disappear. So I'll end on that note. I think I could keep rambling but I'm tired of doing so and I'm ready to get this episode wrapped up and sent off to be scheduled to publish. So thank you again to Dale and Duane for their time on this episode. And thank you to you for tuning in. I've had plenty of support on these first few episodes, and I'm looking forward to playing with the format of this show and playing with the types of guests that I have. Um, Again, feel free to subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts. I know Spotify, Pandora, and um, The Web are some of your favorites. I can see where people are listening, but um, feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel I'm worthy of five stars feel free to leave a five-star review. That is an easy and free way to support me and support shorts weather. So thank you again for listening. I hope you all have a great week. Thank you for sharing some of your time with me. I hope you enjoyed the time that I spent with you. And as always, take care, guys. Bye.